perpetual reading of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Right now at 11.11.9. And uh, here, uh, Lord Krishna is speaking to Uddhava in the subject matter of the nature of the material energy. And he says, an enlightened person who is free from the contamination of material desire does not consider himself to be the performer of bodily activities. Rather, he knows that in all such activities, it is only the senses born of the modes of nature that are contacting sense objects born of the same modes of nature. Purport, Lord Krishna makes a similar statement in Bhagavad Gita at 328. One who is in knowledge of the absolute truth, Almighty Arm, does not engage himself in the senses and sense gratification, knowing well the difference between work and devotion and work for fruitive results. The material body always interacts with the sense objects. For in order to survive, the body must eat, drink, speak, sleep, and so on. But an enlightened person who knows the science of Krishna consciousness never thinks, I'm accepting these sense objects as my property. They are meant for my pleasure. Similarly, if the body performs a wonderful activity, a Krishna conscious person does not become proud, nor is he depressed by the failure of the body to function in a particular way. In other words, Krishna consciousness means giving up identification with the gross and subtle material bodies. One should see them as the external energy of the Lord, working under the direction of the Lord's empowered representative, Maya. One absorbed in fruit of activities works under the jurisdiction of Maha Maya, or the external illusory potency, and experiences the miseries of material existence. On the other hand, a devotee works under the internal potency called Yogamaya and remains satisfied by offering his loving service to the Lord. In either case, the Lord himself, by his multifarious potencies, is the ultimate performer of action. According to Srila Vishnath Chakravarti Thakur, one who claims to be a transcend one who claims to be transcendental to the bodily concept of life, but at the same time remains under the influence of mature desire and mental transformation is understood to be a cheater and the lowest type of conditioned soul. So the other night, Havi Prabhu talked about being at the dentist. <coughs> Excuse me, everybody. There's one line in, in the room. That, uh, he said that during dental work, it was, it was discomfort at its best. And uh, then he went into an objective state. In other words, he was objectifying his body and noticed there was a liminal space where he could be aware that he was different from his body. Am I representing properly? And I'm, I'd like to ask all of you, uh, in any uh, case, not necessarily dental work, uh, in any uh, time in your life, well, have you had this sense of objectification of the of your material body or mind either by meditation or by some kind of realization that comes about 
either by the Lord's mercy, circumstantially, or do you think like that all the time? Any like comments, just a practical experience of maybe being in a situation and then looking at it f from the point of view of the witness? Yes, Prabhu? Shisha. Hare Krishna in the back. Shisha in the back. Hare Krishna. So, though sometimes, like while working, it, uh, uh, you know, you, you get this moment in, in the middle where you see that. Oh, there's like you know a machine working, or you know there's like an automatic system which is working, and you're just there, and you know sometimes you're like unconsciously just doing it, and then you become aware and say, is that really what I want to do? So that is a moment where you know you see a like a, a separation between you and the, the the automatic. Have you had that happen in any specific case? You're driving your car, you're cooking huge batch of. 200 pounds of pasta, something, <laughs> something where it's specific. I think I remember like a few days back while working from home in front of the computer, like I was just sitting and just, you know, doing it and then, you know, there was this moment where I felt, you know, like, okay, I'm not doing this and it's just, it's, you know, like it's happening but I'm, I'm like, you know, it's like a very space of you're doing it, you're not doing it, both at the same time, so. Nice. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Anybody else? Yes, please. Trepidola. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Uh, we started an online book distribution, and uh, by your mercy, it was very successful. It is. We are still doing it, and uh, one day a friend friend came and he told. I mean, how you can do this? You were always a failure. And now you started such a... He's huge. a friend? <laughs> <laughs> and, and now you are distributing so many books, like around 150 books per day, online through Flipkart. And uh, then another friend was there. He told that uh, he got his Guru Maharaj's mercy. That's why he is able to do so. So at that time, I realized that uh, it is only possible because of your mercy and I'm nothing. Yeah, that's an interesting realization. It, it relates to s some of the ways that I've noticed the, the Sankirtan devotees, you know, in going into the realm of service, making goals that seem impossible. They're not sure where the resources are going to come from. And then it comes. And there's this distinct realization that there's a higher power coming in, that's a kind of objectification of one's life and seeing I'm not the doer. Thank you. Anyone else? Chuck it all for a while, you're at it. Just move this to the other side of the room. That's what's making me sneeze. Kryptonite. <laughs> One common um, experience is is that people say that they somehow or other, while sleeping, they suddenly see themselves in a position of observer of the body, sleeping. And that happened to me when I was a kid. And that scared me a lot. And, um, 
and it happened two or three times, and uh, it was a very deep experience where I could see my, my body there, and I was looking at it from a different perspective. I remember that I had to go and immediately take shelter of, of my parents. It came a point where, where they had to, uh, they decided to close the door because some, somebody, I don't know if it was a psychologist or somebody said, don't just close the door and he will overcome it. It was <laughs> smart. So it was, it was uh, I used to wake up in, at night and just turn on the light immediately because I didn't want to have that experience. Wow. But if I had this tool of knowledge, I would have, uh, have, a, have a different reaction to it. Really? specific and interesting case. It reminded me of a godbrother of mine who had uh, become a bodybuilder. And at the time he was really into bodybuilding, there was some supplement that was being sold and it was being very popular at health food stores. It was legal. But it had some kind of uh, uh, drug in it that uh, gave one like extra energy or something. And uh, because he, he was taking that and working out, he had a stroke. And he told me, I said, what was it like? He recovered um, miraculously. And he told me that in the state of the stroke, he realized that he was in his body. He, could, he was fully conscious in his body, but he saw his body wouldn't move. He couldn't get it to do anything. And he said he felt like he was in a tunnel and helpless, just trapped in there. And he said it was claustrophobic and very scary. But he was fully aware, and that was uh, enough just hearing it from somebody else to help me objectify my body just by hearing that. I also mentioned a few times I had this experience once when I was taking an afternoon nap. And I was just as in that liminal state of waking up, I became uh, aware of my heart beating. And then all my, my attention went there. And I, it was as if I was having a conversation with my heart, saying, thank you very much for all the work you've been doing. And it was as if it was answering, saying that, you're quite welcome, but I'm not beating under my own power. And by the way, I could stop at any minute. Hmm. I'm just uh, acting according to nature. I mean, all this you know, happened within uh, a millisecond. Just, it was just a kind of a objectification of my heart and realizing that I was in an existential situation that was quite tenuous and anything could happen at any time it related to my heart. Yes. Not exactly to this point, um, but somewhat relevant, I am reminded of um, the concept you share of circle of uh, influence and circle of concern. So if I can be in that state of seeing myself as an observer and not as the body, as the doer, then you explain um, that the, my worries or whatever things I have if it's within my circle of influence, I can do something about it. But it's out, if it's outside that circle, the circle of concern, then 
I can just let it go and surrender more. And you're pointing that out in a way that you can objectify your thoughts and see how they're moving. That reminded me of a verse from the Bhagavad Gita just after Arjuna asked Krishna what's the symptom of a person who's steady in consciousness or spiritually realized. Krishna says, Prajahati Adakanaman Saran Pajamanom Katam Atman Yevatmanatishta Sukhapagnastadochite and that is that the person sees that the mind is producing unlimited combinations of permutations and desires as if uh, created by a factory. I'm summarizing the way Prabhupada describes the verse. And then a Prajahati means somebody you can draw back. You're not compelled to grab onto those products of the mind, but you have the wherewithal to notice them and not grab them. For instance, they come in your mind and then you might want to just speak them out loud, which means that it will cause some uh, repercussion. There will, there will be some repercussion because you said it and somebody's going to hear it or you're going to hear it and then it starts to manifest more. On a, on a grosser level, but a person who's uh, fixed in consciousness is able to objectify the thoughts, notice them, and see these are not mine. These are combinations, permutations of the material modes of nature because of my association. Purusha prakriti stohi punte prakriti jangunam karanam gunasangosya sadasanyoni janmasu. Because of the jiva's association with various modes of nature, he acquires a uh, combinations and permutations, the time I use that term, or, uh, of the modes of nature. And that um, is what uh, Patanjali says in his Yoga Sutra, is the meaning of karma. And that is, because of the accumulated impressions in my mind, now I'm compelled or impelled to work in a certain way. I'm making decisions, and I have likes and dislikes based on past impressions uh, or experiences that left impressions, and now they're pushing me in a certain way. I think I'm choosing independently. I like, what I heard when I was on the plane, somebody, I heard this woman saying, I like night bowling. It's like when we were playing together, some conversation is coming, you know. What a kind of uh, random thing to tell somebody next to you. Like, I really like night bowling. And, and then I was thinking of this uh, description that people, and I was thinking, I wonder what she likes about it. She must have had a good experience. And it left this impression in her mind that night bowling is good. Because somehow somebody noticed her, or so, who knows what happened, but she liked it. And now there's that. Ladini samskar within her mind. And then on the other hand, if somebody had a bad experience somewhere, then he or she is um, resistant to certain situations. Or in a past life, if somebody was married to somebody who was uh, very fat and had a big nose, then in this life you see somebody who's fat with a big nose and then you just certainly fall in love. Because you go like, oh yeah. <laughs> and, and you feel it because sometimes people wonder it's like you like who <laughs> you sure and he's like yeah and, and because everyone has a, a taste based on 
the, the various impressions that have been left uh, within the chitta and uh, doesn't know, most people don't know it and you were mentioning that if you had the wherewithal previously, the knowledge to objectify the experience and see that this is a, a kind of echo uh, or some kind of trick of the mind, then it wouldn't be so intimidating. And then, of course, the, there are two verses in the Bhagavad Gita that counterbalance one another. So one of them is prakriti kriyamana ni gune karmani sarvasha ankara imudhatma kartam iti A person who's without knowledge and foolish thinks that he or she is the controller and um, <clears throat> that uh, such a person is um, moving moving the energy him or herself. And uh, the other one is the verse prop, uh, is quoted in this in this purport that says Tatvavit to Mahabaho. Somebody is a Tatvavit knows uh, things as they are, Tatva, and knows Tatva. Mahava Guna Karma Vibhagayo, Guna Guneshivatanta sees that I'm not actually the controller of of the, my senses and the material world, it's going on without me. And therefore, there's a sense of detachment and uh, non-doership. Okay, let's try one more. If anybody's watching online, you can just put comments or questions in the chat box, and we'll read them out for you. And you might win something. You could win prizes on this show. An unintelligent person situated within the body, created by his previous fruitive activities, thinks, I am the performer of action. Bewildered by false ego, such a foolish person is therefore bound up by fruitive activities, which are in fact carried out by the modes of nature. As stated in Bhagavad Gita, this is the purple. Prakriti kriyamanani gunai karmani sarvasha ankara vimutatma kartahamiti manyate. The living entity is dependent on the supreme entity, Lord Krishna, but because of false pride, he ignores the supreme personality of Godhead and considers himself to be the performer of action and enjoyer of everything. Srila Madhvacharya states that just as a king punishes a rebellious subject, the Supreme Lord punishes the sinful living entity by forcing him to transmigrate from one body to another <clears throat> in the network of the illusory energy. Who said me? Okay, go ahead. Please explain your emotion. Well, you like the analogy? Yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah, tell why you like it, please. Analogies are instantaneously effective, aren't they? It reminds me of a little vignette that I read in the Yoga Sutras, in which the, it's called the Tenth Man. So there's this group that are going by boat. And when they get off the boat, the leader of the party assigns somebody to count everybody getting off. So 
they make sure everyone got off, and, and then of course he'll do it the other way so everyone gets back on again. You don't want to leave anybody behind. So everyone gets off the boat, and he counts up, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and he thinks, oh, we're missing somebody. And then he calls over the head person, and he says, something's wrong, we're missing some, uh, one person. So the head person counts up, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And he said, you're right. This is a disaster. We're, somebody's missing. And an observer nearby comes over and says, excuse me, I don't mean to intrude or anything like that, but you forgot to count yourself. You're the tenth man. And as soon as he says the words, you're the tenth man, there's an instant realization that, oh, I am the tenth man. And so this is given as an example of spiritual revelation. It, it comes automatically when one gets this clear knowledge. Uh, and the Shastra is like that observer who comes over and says, excuse me, you forgot who you are. This is who, <laughs> this is who you are. And gives this uh, immediate uh, clarity that uh, you're not your body. You're the soul within the body. And what were you going to say about the analogy? I just was... Um it was easy to understand that um, a king has a right to punish his citizens. So in this case, it mentioned as a condition being um, because of my false pride, if I forget the Supreme Lord, then I have the opportunities, which are sort of punishment to transmigrate into different bodies to fulfill my material desires. Nice. Thank you. Can I read one more? Yes, please. Okay. An enlightened person fixed in detachment engages his body in lying down, sitting, walking, bathing, seeing, touching, smelling, eating, hearing, and so on, but is never entangled by such activities. In, indeed, remaining as a witness to all bodily functions, he merely engages his bodily senses with their objects and does not become entangled like an unintelligent person. Purport, in the previous chapter, Uddhava asked Lord Krishna why an enlightened person, just like a conditioned soul, engages in external bodily functions. Here is the Lord's answer. While engaged in bodily functions, an unintelligent person is attached to both the means and end of material life and therefore experiences intense lamentation and jubilation on the material platform. A self-realized soul, however, studies the inevitable defeat and suffering of ordinary persons, as persons and does not make the mistake of trying to enjoy the bodily functions even slightly. He instead remains a detached witness, merely engaging his senses in the normal functions of bodily maintenance. As indicated here by the word adayam, he engages something other than his actual self in material experience. Text 11.11.12-13 Although the sky or space is the resting place of everything, the sky does not mix with anything, nor is it entangled. Similarly, the sun is not at all attached to the water in which it is reflected within innumerable reservoirs, and the mighty wind blowing everywhere is not affected by the innumerable aromas and atmospheres 
through which it passes. In the same way, a self-realized soul is completely detached from the material body and the material world around it. He is like a person who has awakened and arisen from a dream. With expert vision sharpened by detachment, the self-realized soul cuts all doubts to pieces through knowledge of the self and completely withdraws his consciousness from the expansion of material variety. Two can remember the various uh, analogies that were that Krishna used in this verse. Yes, Prabhu. The wind. The wind. The wind. The wind. So wind is carrying all these aromas, but at the same time is totally detached. Right. It never, it never mixes with no, it, right? It, it never mixes with it. That's an, I mean, this is all parallel to the Gita, right? And this verse is there, Shari Rami Aravapnoti Yashakri Kramatishvara Krihitvaitani Samyati Vayogandam Nashay Vayogandam. The Ganda is carried in the Vayu, but uh, that means the aroma is carried by the air, by the wind coming by, but it never mixes with it. So what's the analogy there? So what's it comparing the, the, that to? Comparing that to the, the intelligent person engaging in the senses in the world, i.e. like eating and whatnot, um, but not becoming attached to um, how wonderful this is, or, or maybe I, I'm just guessing, guessing essentially, but not getting attached to you know the winds at work or whatever, and, and just engaging the senses because I have to, and but not not could be trapped. You know the pleasures of life, or could be the miseries of life. I was reading in the obviously I read recently, maybe it's not obvious, but I read that. Uh, the uh, Yoga Sutras recently because I, I needed some of the ideas there for something I was writing and in one of the commentaries um, it's attributed to Vyas and it says that he said that yogis are especially wary of what he calls Sladini, Sladini Samskars that sounds Yiddish Latini. so Sladini Samskar means that um, that those connections with something, some sense object that gives me pleasure. There's a spike experience in the brain. And I'm like, wow, that was nice. So they're especially afraid of those because once you have one, then it's really hard to give up the <laughs> concept of getting it back again. People always say, okay, that's it, last time. And it, then that some scar gets reenacted Re, uh, reinvigorated and they're like no 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 you have to have that and it's really hard to give it up so they so he said that that yogis are as sensitive as an eyeball to interaction with the material nature so what does that mean he says that the eyeball is the most sensitive place on the body anything touches it even the, the softest little hair and then you know it's agitated so he said yogis are very, very careful about how they interact with the world. Of course, Prophet points out when it comes to the 
a comparison with different kinds of yogis. The bhakti yogi is the least susceptible to these types of influences because of the principle of yukta vairagya, and that he or she may be interacting with the world, and at the same time uh, not touching it because of the intention behind it. He or she is offering it to Krishna and doing it for Krishna, whatever it may be, and therefore is uh, remarkably uh, unaffected by it. As Krishna mentions in the fifth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Brahmanyadaya karmani sangam tyakta karotiya lipitena sapapena padma patram ivambasa, which means that, as Krishna says, you should live like a lotus flower that's in the water but never touched by the water. The lotus has this particular property so that it doesn't become uh, wet. It never gets wet, even though it's in the water, which is you know, the simplest way to put it. And so similarly, the person who's in Krishna consciousness, a feeling um, who's using the senses to serve the master of the senses in all circumstances, that person is not besmirched with uh, <laughs> sin, not besmirched. By um, by the uh, this uh, what we call sin, which is really a kind of a word from Judeo Christian. Wow, Dhamma Bhamsi Dari Kabu's Good to see you, Prabhu. I wanted to make a comment. Please. We have a mic over I've been thinking several times that this point of understanding how am I different from my circumstances. But it always happens after some time. So in other words, if something's happening immediately, I find who's guilty or who's not and who is to be blamed or who's not. And then I reflect. Same thing with pain or pleasure or something. Suddenly I, I see myself, I'm doing this and that. I don't realize it, but after it, even minutes after I go, look at me, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. So reflection, I guess, comes before or after, depending on the attention and the advancement, isn't it? When it happens, when things happen, you're immediately related to, oh, to truth and not to uh, circumstances. Yes, it's an excellent point, and it reminded me of something that our God brother Mahatma Prabhu said. He teaches about forgiveness in, in many different um, ways in seminars, and uh, once he said that by practicing forgiveness and obviously by being advanced in Krishna consciousness, otherwise when one wouldn't have the wherewithal to forgive anybody. He said that 
those who are advanced develop the ability to forgive simultaneously or as the offense is being perpetrated at that very moment, the person's forgiving. So it, as he put it, and related to your excellent point, the person who becomes more Christian conscious and is, pra is practiced in this, has a, there's no gap. It, it doesn't become retros retro retrospective and then say, oh, I would now I've forgiven. But it happens like in the moment, just as the person's uh, um, transgressing in some way, according to my ego, then it, it doesn't, um, there's no reaction from an internal level. Maybe there, there's an appropriate action externally, because there's Vyavaharika and Paramartika, one may have to defend oneself as an example, or do due diligence for, from the offender, but internally, it's not an issue because uh, that person has, as you were saying, you know, come to the level where it happens in real time. That's a weird term. It happens simultaneously as 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 the interactions occurring. Does that yeah? Is that parallel? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're confirming my conviction. Yeah. But I think that it, in, and Trisha was next, but I'm just considering uh, circumstances, as you mentioned, of, of um, reacting by impulse from the lower nature and then regretting it afterwards. And that, that becomes also a, a learning experience. There's a samskar there. I can think of a time that I got angry when I was distributing books in St. Louis Airport for some reason. And, and I know that it wasn't for some reason, it was because I was attached. Mm. I wanted the result. And that's how I analyzed it later. And I, I could see that I, I get angry because I wanted to control the situation. Mm. And I was thinking I should be able to control the situation. I should get the result that I want out of this. And then, it, you know, in one instance, I just remember uh, somebody did something. I can't remember exactly what they did, but I do remember that I got angry. And then I was looking at myself afterwards, and I heard Prophet's words in my mind from one of his purports, where he said, when you become angry, then your 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 chest and your, your face become polluted. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized that I was I could feel it in my chest. Mm -hmm. The reaction, it was almost as if there was a nuclear reaction. You know, there's radiation coming out of me. And then, then I also saw that other people could see it too. They looked at me and they like, get away, you know, <laughs> for, for the next couple of hours. I was contaminated. And, and as I talk about book distribution being a, uh, a, a, a crucible, crucible is a place where you put in metal that's contaminated and it gets heated and melted and then the impurities run off it's a crucible because you're under pressure all the time and there's lots to react to and it, it's an opportunity to come to this point of seeing in retrospective but you speed up the process because there's 
unlimited opportunities to have that happen. And then after a while, I'll use another example. I learned this from a class I took at San Francisco State University called Psychosomatic Optimization. <laughs> it was in the psychology department. And it was a, and in that, they, they had this, the professor was showing all these videos about biofeedback. They still do that. It's a biofeedback machine where they hook up all these electrodes all over your body to measure your biometrics. And then you learn how to tune your, your body. In other mm -hmm. words, you can watch how, it's, how you're bringing yourself back down into a state of equanimity. And I, I think that uh, you know, doing service for Krishna and then uh, having these circumstances where you remember Shastra and then you tune yourself and you come back down and you become equipoised. Maybe it's retrospective and it's like when I have the chance again, <laughs> I'm going to be more careful. And you, know, you can come to that tuned state where the, in the moment you're not reacting to it. Does that resonate? Yeah, I accept it, yes. Okay. Um, somebody, look. yes, Trisha. Hare Krishna. This verses, you know, these verses which talk about the witness and the, the material, uh, you know, actions, uh, the space, like space between you and the, the witness and the, the material actions. I, I just wanted to also share that, like, you know, after you do that, I think there's a, there's a realization that now I want to also simplify that machine, like you know that machine that is complicated and you know is actually doing a particular kind of activity because of some impulses. Also want to like purify that. Uh, for example, like I remember that you know when so many years back when I first came to ISV, like you know at that time there was I witnessed and I thought okay you know I'm I'm not going in a good direction and you know I'm. I did not feel I'm I'm doing very well. Like my machine is actually, you know, full of some, let's say, impurity or something. And then, out of that witness, you know, and coming to Iskon Silicon Valley and you know spending time with you and all the devotees, I think that machine actually became simplified over time. And you know, it actually became no cleanse. I felt. And uh, so, although I'm still witnessing the same witness, but that machine is getting sim simplified. And you know, the direction of life is changing as a result of the machine getting simplified. Yeah, I like the terminology about simplification because uh, as we read earlier in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, there are, um, well, when I'm engaged with the external sense objects with the perspective that I can enjoy them, there are unlimited varieties. Uh, Krishna talks about this. He said that there are, of course, there's different kinds of plants and uh, fruits, but then amongst them, uh, it um, multiplies because there are varieties within each one of the fruits and different varieties of colors. And he said, Krishna says it, it multiplies from tens to hundreds to thousands to millions and then to unlimited. So the material world has unlimited opportunities for the, the mind to um, try to uh, indulge in the varieties uh, through sense gratification. And it, it relates very much to Krishna's admonition in the Bhagavad Gita where he says, 
that a person who's uh, simplified his or her intelligence it, it, and it's like there's one thing, there's one source to meditate on uh, is fixed in consciousness whereas a person who hasn't achieved this has a very complex um, field to deal with Bahushaka, it's unlimitedly, uh, there's unlimited varieties and that one never comes to the end of it. Do you have a point? Oh. That's the end of the, yeah. The end of the verse which we just read, the Lord is mentioning that the, the focus is not that due to the material variety. There is so much of, uh, um, I was remembering the verse, there are so many unlimited subjects and opportunities Maya is presenting, you know, which uh, can absorb our consciousness. Yes, a nice citation. I was thinking recently about how many of the ways in which one can process this is, or, or, or the, the way these unlimited um, subject matters and sense objects get amplified as, as are speaking about them. Because uh, the mind keeps producing these combinations of permutations, fourth time I use that phrase, uh, it, uh, from, from one's experience with the material nature. And then one becomes more implicated when one talks about them. So I just noticed uh, when Krishna talks about the austerities of speech, he indicates somebody is restrained in their speaking. So I, I've been thinking lately about how if you just say 30% less of what comes into your mind during the day, <laughs> I know this for myself, just 30% less, I feel. And then there's something will come in my mind, I'm about to say it, and then I think, why? What's the point? What's going to happen when you say it? It'll it create some uh, echo that will, like those uh, Zoom echoes when somebody else in the house has a device on. And it's like, <laughs> it just goes on forever, and and becomes more. So, like the simplification means you know you're you're um, more careful about indulging it and also tuning it to making sure that whatever I'm saying is purposeful in Krishna's service. That's the real way that it gets simplified because it doesn't mean that we become silent, but it just means that we're discriminating in what we say, is it for Krishna's service? That's the demarcation. If it's, if it's in Krishna's service, then it'll have a good effect. And if I'm hearing it because it's um, coming from the right channel, then that's the right thing. Otherwise, as you quoted that verse, there's unlimited things that you can hear. But they're all combinations and permutations and the five of the material nature. That's it. My quote is done for the day. <laughs> all right. How about we hear one more? There's some comments. Oh, there's comments. Well, this is great. Thank you. Uh, Vidarbha said, Hare Krishna Prabhu Dandavats, Jai Prabhupada, love the point about your conversation with your heart. And then later on she said, 
Love the class. Does the devotee not even notice the inappropriate behavior of another or sees but forgives? Well, it depends what level of consciousness a person's on because a Mahabhagavata is described as a person who sees people as um, being engaged in Krishna's service by dint of even being engaged in sense gratification, such a person sees that uh, these people are connected to Krishna because they're enveloped by the material energy, which is Krishna's energy anyway, and that person's seeing Krishna everywhere, so there's not an issue for that person. Whereas somebody who's in the Majjama platform is discriminatory because of, well, that's what a Majjama Adhikari does. It sees categories of people and circumstances and appropriate ways to interact with them. And uh, so to answer the question more, be that uh, a person who's actually advanced, Krishna says, Atmao pamyena sarvatra samam pashiti arjuna sukham vayadibadukam sa yogi paramumata the, the Parma Yogi is somebody who has empathy for others. Empathy, pathy means to feel, and M means in. So you're able to go in their heart and feel what they're feeling and see why they're doing it. So the person who's most advanced, Krishna says, is able to appreciate why the person's doing it, doesn't find fault with them. Just like Lord Jesus Christ was saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So he sees what they're doing and knows that it's a transgression, but feels for the person because they're out of control. They've lost their minds because of being carried away by the material nature, and so that they don't take offense from the person. There's an example of this in the first canon of the Srimad Bhagavatam when Dharma is questioned by Parikshit about who did this to you. And he wouldn't name a perpetrator. In fact, it's said in that section that if you name a perpetrator, then you take the same, you get the same reaction as the person who did it to you, if you name them. That's the ultimate in equanimity. By dint of transcendental knowledge, just seeing that it's, it's, a, it's categorically... Um, entangling, so uh, it doesn't matter who did it with karma. I mean, it doesn't matter who started it. <laughs> it matters who continues it. <laughs> so in that sense, you know, the devotee sees all angles, what's going on. That's why the verse that we just heard uh, a couple of purports ago was tatvavit which means tatvavit means the person sees the various categories of energy working because tatva means thatness tat means that you'd be able to point to a um, particular energy and say this is how it's working and um, the person's in knowledge of how it works so the material energy works in a particular way and, and 
the devotees able to see that and know why people are compelled to act in a certain way. Even though why he's or she's compelled to act in a certain way. Was there more? Jim said more cowbell. More cowbell, okay, Dave. Wait. Uh, it won't let me see more. Oh, okay. Uh, Shraddha Dasi from um, oh, Pennsylvania. Oh, sorry. Wow, Naratam Priya's here. Hare Krishna Naratam Priya. Thank you for coming. This discussion reminds me of Srimad Bhagavatam 11.28.1. Quote, the Supreme Personality of Godhead said, one should neither praise nor criticize the conditioned nature and activities of other persons. Rather, one should see this world as simply the combination of material nature and the enjoying souls, all based on the one absolute truth. Who said, who gave that comment? Uh, Shraddha Devi oh. from Pennsylvania. Yeah, nicely done. Yeah, and Vidarpa said thank you. Thank you. Okay, this is great. Can you all stand here in one more verse? This is ecstasy. Okay. I'll be producing ecstasy, then I'm happy. All right. Sir, I think I Okay, here we go. Oh, right, I asked for what are the different analogies. So I'm just going to read this one more time. This is the, the last verse we read. It's, it's um, rife, R-A-F-E, with analogies. Although the sky or space is the resting place of everything, the sky does not mix with anything, nor is it entangled. Similarly, the sun is not at all attached to the water in which it is reflected within innumerable reservoirs and the mighty wind blowing everywhere is not affected by the innumerable aromas and atmospheres through which it passes. In the same way, a self-realized soul is completely detached from the material body and the material world around it. He is like a person who has awakened and arisen from a dream with expert vision sharpened by detachment. The self-realized soul cuts all doubts to pieces through knowledge of the self and completely withdraws his consciousness from the expansion of material variety. What an amazing verse. And here's the purport. According to Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, a self-realized soul cuts all doubts to pieces by direct experience of his true spiritual identity. The Supreme Personality of God is Lord Krishna, and there is no possibility of any existence separate from Lord Krishna. Such expert knowledge cuts all doubts to pieces. As stated here, prakriti sto pyasam sakta. Like the sun, excuse me, like the sky, the sun or the wind, one who is self-realized is not entangled. Those situated within the material creation of the Lord Nanatva, or material variety, refers to one's material body, the bodies of others, and the unlimited paraphernalia for bodily sense gratification, both physical and mental. 
By awakening to Krishna consciousness, one completely retires from illusory sense gratification and uh, becomes absorbed in the progressive realization of the soul situated within the body. He's retired. When sense gratification impulse comes like, sorry, I'm retired. <laughs> As revealed in the example of the two birds in a tree, both the individual soul and the personality of Godhead are completely separate from, from the gross and subtle material bodies. If one turns one's face to the Lord, recognizing one's eternal dependence on Him, there will be no further suffering or anxiety, even though one is still situated within the material world. The unlimited experiences of material objects only increase one's anxiety, whereas perception of the absolute truth, Sri Krishna, immediately brings one to the platform of peace. Thus, one who is intelligent retires from the world of matter and becomes a fully self-realized Krishna conscious person. Yay! <laughs> this is the next verse. A person is considered to be completely liberated from the gross and subtle material bodies when all the functions of his vital energy senses, mind, and intelligence are performed without material desire. Such a person, although situated within the body, is not entangled. Purport, the material body and mind are subject to lamentation, illusion, hunger, lust, greed, insanity, frustration, etc. But one who remains active in this world without attachment is considered veneer mukta, or completely liberated. The vital energy, senses, mind, and intelligence are purified when engaged in the devotional service of the Lord as confirmed throughout Srimad Bhagavatam. Sometimes for no apparent reason, one's body is attacked by cruel people or violent animals. At other times and in other places, one will suddenly be offered great respect or worship. One who becomes neither angry when attacked, nor satisfied when worshipped, is actually intelligent. <laughs> okay, tell us why you're laughing. Microphone. Well, I was just thinking in general in the material world, it's very natural that when things go right and when one is praised, one naturally tends to be very happy and jubilant. And when these things go wrong and when someone blames us for things, we naturally tend to, it becomes like an, it's like a, it's like a natural response to the thing. But here, uh, and Krishna mentions that how, when actually in both the situation, if one doesn't get affected by this, then he's actually very intelligent. I was, I was just appreciating the definition of like what, what is this? Yeah, this is a, a concept that many self-help people go forward. I don't know about many, but I know one for sure in a, a book called The Four Agreements. It's uh, based on Toltec wisdom. And the author says uh, there are these four agreements that you should make in order to become unaffected by the material world. Uh, the first one is your speech should be impeccable. The word impeccable comes from Latin, impeccieri, which means uh, without sin. 
And the second is that shouldn't take anything personally. And he gives this argument that when somebody, for instance, uh, speaks harshly to you, that's their thing, it's not yours. That's what's coming from their heart. That's their perspective. It doesn't necessarily uh, have to relate to you. It doesn't necessarily relate to you. It's just the way they see it about you. The third is that you should never assume anything because uh, we have a perceptual horizon and we can't understand uh, much at all. And if when we assume, we jump to conclusions, then there's a great anxiety and turbulence with the mind, which is completely unnecessary. And then finally, you should always do your best because that's all you can do. And if you stay within these four, then your mind will become equipoise. And that's one of the, the points uh, that Krishna makes in the Bhagavad Gita. Is you should uh, be equipoise. But there has to be some uh, clear transcendental vision behind it, as um, you were pointing out. It requires self-realization. Okay, I'm going to read the purport. Can yes, Prabhu, please. A question? Yeah. When things happen to us, good or bad, is it a waste of time to relate it to a particular situation? Well, it's because of this, because of that. Or maybe, you know, this, this happened to me because I did this or that. One really doesn't know for sure why one is suffering at one point or enjoying another, either gaining or losing, or and so on. It, it doesn't make sense to try to relate to it, but just, I guess, generalization is the best policy, is it? Yes. According to uh, Brahma's observation and the quintessential verse that defines the attitude of a person eligible for but inheriting this kingdom of God, So Brahma says categorically that a person becomes eligible to go back to Godhead by seeing uh, whatever happens as Krishna's mercy. And of course in the purport, uh, our acharyas have explained, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, as quoted by the commentator, says that Krishna, for the devotee, is giving, uh, is creating various circumstances to eliminate the last vestiges of attachment to the material world, and he does so with precision. Because he knows exactly what it is that every living entity is still attached to. Those who also take care of people know it too. Well, at least those who are uh, teachers of Krishna consciousness and interact with people on a face-to-face -face level. You, you can back any of you preachers out there in our time, probably you can back up. But just notice that you know, when we come in contact with people who are joining Christian consciousness, we'll notice, first of all, 
nobody comes without some kind of complexity to deal with. And then second is that everyone has some, you, although it sounds familiar, it always sounds familiar, but, uh, but it's still, there's some unique, uh, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> there's some unique situation everybody has because of the, the modes he or she has acquired. But it, that's always there, some complexity. And uh, the only way to deal with it, according to the Bhagavatam, Vidyate Hriya Grantish Jijyante Sarvasamshaya, Shiyante Chastakarmani Drishtayeva Manishvari. So it's such a complicated knot that you can't untie it. Have you ever had one of those? It happens to my shika sometimes. <laughs> because I can't see back there. I'm just like, I, I, I know it when I feel it, and I go like, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> and I don't have time for this right now. I'm going to jump in the shower. You know, and I'm going like, that's not coming out. So every once in a while, I just have like, well, I'll just have to break the knot off and go, you know, because it's not going to untangle itself. And so, the, you know, the karma gets like that. It's so, it, it, it's so tangled up and just matted together you're never going to get it done. So, bidyate hriya grintish chidyante, it has to be cut. Krishna says the same thing in the Gita. It's such a, a, a mess. It's a real mess. Uh, you don't know how you got into it, and... Uh, you know why these things are happening to you. you can't trace it out as you were saying so he says best thing is to cut it at the root by service to the supreme personality of godhead we read that the other day that's the way to cut it down uh, did that did that uh yes exactly yeah, right thank you right so it's categorical we shouldn't try to figure it out. But I've experienced that sometimes Super Soul just reveals it to me. Can you give an example? I can't think of one right now, but I know it's happened. Dominar's going to back you up. He's I have an example. <laughs> <laughs> just three days back, I was uh, fortunate to read the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam and mentioned about Davadut and he was giving the example of the earth and how the earth, uh, you know, is so tolerant. And uh, so similarly, one should see one's aggressors totally in control of the Lord. Totally what? Totally in control of God. Control, yes. So, you know, that way we come to the point of Tattenu Kappa. And I said, wow, what a verse. And I shared it with my wife. And by evening, I had a situation where I completely lost it. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was right in the face. It's almost like the Lord showed it to me, you know, that one should be tolerant, you know, look at the aggressor as, you know, completely in control of the Lord. But I, I couldn't, I mean, and, and as uh, Havi Prabhu uh, said, it's after that reflection, it took some time. And then I said, hey, wait a minute, this verse just came to me in the afternoon. And, this is my reaction in the evening, you know, so.
Thank yeah, you. and the, and the, the ways um, these um, the complex situations that one's in are, uh, as Prophet says, you know the whole in the 13th chapter of the Gita, uh, 22nd verse in the purport, he says that uh, Krishna knows why and how we came to the material world. First, she says uh, how we fell into the material world doesn't really matter. He says it doesn't really matter. He says Krishna knows how and why, but, but uh, from, we don't have the perceptual horizon uh, that's wide enough to see that uh, because we're limited by our senses and, this, and the time factor. But Krishna knows. That's a, another way of, of processing it is to, to remember that Krishna knows how it happens. Also, to know that he uh, sees our intention as well and our sincerity in dealing with all these different situations because if one has a modicum of sincerity in dealing with situations even if one doesn't isn't able to hold it together in, in all cases then Krishna gives the intelligence of how to overcome it one last verse okay purport is as follows if one does not become angry when attacked for no apparent reason and if one does not become enlivened when glorified or worshipped, then one has passed the test of self-realization and is considered fixed in spiritual intelligence. <laughs> Uddhava asked Lord Krishna, Karva Yayata Lakshanai, by what symptoms can a self-realized person be recognized? Just as Lord Krishna enlightened Arjuna, he now explains the same subject matter to Uddhava. In this verse, the Lord describes symptoms by which it is very easy to recognize a saintly person for a normal person becomes furious when criticized or attacked and overwhelmed with joy when glorified by others there is a similar statement by yagyavalkya to the effect that one who is actually intelligent does not become angry though pricked with thorns and does not become satisfied at heart merely by being worshipped with auspicious paraphernalia such as sandalwood Okay. That was yes. poetry. The poetry. It's pure poetry. It's really beautiful, huh? You can make a song out of that. I have one question and a reflection. Yes, of course. How do we not take things personally? I mean, you explained briefly, but um, sometimes uh, it, it comes automatic or it may be hard to process. So, any tips? Yeah. One thing is. Uh, remembering that actually uh, people mostly care about themselves. There's the ego is always searching for a affirmation that, you know, you're good. Like even in, I could say, even in chanting japa, you can be sitting and chanting japa and then thinking, I wonder if anybody noticed this how good my japa is. Like, I'm, I'm like practically like, you know, my samadhi over here. Does anybody notice, you know? But then if you, if you look around and analyze the situation, 
Perhaps everyone's thinking that. <laughs> and, and everyone's self-contained unit and is ruled by the ego in the material world. So it, the, the idea that I'm going to get some kind of acclamation, uh, acclaim from somebody, you know, from, from the outside world is ludicrous because even when we get it, oftentimes it's coming from uh, it, um, somebody seeking something in return. They're, on the egoic level, there's a way in which people praise and the, okay, now you're supposed to praise me back because <laughs> I just praised you and maybe that's why they did it in the first place. So by analyzing the, the various motives that everyone has, uh, one can uh, not be um, eager, you know, to, to get such praise. And, and you're, say, I was going from the opposite first, and your question was, can you repeat it again? How not to take things personally. Yeah, so on the other side, if somebody blames you for something, then uh, oftentimes it's, it's because they don't, you know, they don't have the, the, uh, the perspective to, to be actually understand what your motive was, and so how how can you blame how can you um, to blame them because they're kind of helplessly being uh, drawn into it by the modes of material nature to not take it personally. And, you know, and and I think just by by practice, uh, one can see that. People change. People may blame you for something, and then their mind changes later, and they become your best friend. You ever had that happen? Somebody really explodes at you, or you know, or is is a determined enemy, and then a few years later, it changes. You see it in, in politics, and uh, you know, everywhere in the world, countries that were at odds with one another, and then in the next war, they're out. This is the rule of the material world. It's because it's it's run on the mental plane. Somebody is your enemy now flips. It's the same thing. It's material affection, and based on that categorical observation, there's a way in which the person just categorically says it doesn't matter praise or praise or blame because it's uninformed. It's coming from a, a, a misconception based on the body. Whereas sadhus, they actually, because they're not interested in the body and they don't want anything from us, uh, when they give uh, criticism, it, it has this quality, which is called mukhi prasada, which means whatever comes from their mouth, even if it's a, a, a severe chastisement, it goes like, God, I feel really purified. Instead of like, I'm really angry right now. <laughs> you feel like, wow, that, that really helped. I wish that had happened a long time ago. Somebody uh, had the power to do that for me. So anyway, we came together tonight and we read the Bhagavatam. Yes. Reflection. Yes. You mentioned that advanced devotees, um, one point of Avi Prabhu, you mentioned that an advanced devotee is able to forgive um, the offender uh, in, in the moment itself. I was just reminded of this incident um, that His Grace Satyadev Prabhu had mentioned to us at ISV that he was driving and you were with him and something happened that someone 
bypassed you in a speedy way, inappropriately. And he said that he was um, disturbed in the moment, almost angry. But he said, you, you rolled out the window and he said, we forgive you. <laughs> Actually, I didn't roll down the window. It's just something I do on the road when somebody cuts us off right near pool. <laughs> it's, a, it's a time when it's really easy. This is all another observation that can be helpful in, in, in relating to the whole topic. Noticed about road rage. Why do I become angry, especially in the, on driving on the road? My observation is because it's impersonal. And, and let me prove my point. Mm. Let's say you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off unceremoniously. And there's this uh, welling up of uh, indignation. And how dare you? Don't you know how important I am? They could have killed me uh, with, your, you know, with your vehicle. And uh, some people, then it goes over the top because they're, they're imbalanced because they're engaged in sense gratification. So, you, so they, they don't have the wherewithal to, they don't have any perspective whatsoever. They can't get a gap. So they're just dragged away by anger. And you see it all the time, road rage. People just get angry. They'll even smash their car. In fact, there was a, a, a case in the newspaper about 40 years ago near where we live where somebody had somebody was driving a pickup truck to the other person a motorcycle and they got in an altercation road rage and the pickup guy just jerked the wheel just a little bit enough to hit the motorcycle and the guy was killed and the guys uh, the guy was uh, an upstanding citizen had kids and everything like that but he had to go to jail and his life was upended because of uh, that momentary indiscretion where he killed somebody so anyway, back to my point. And that is that, okay, let's say you get cut off and then uh, you're about to become angry. And then you notice that the person driving the car is your mother. <laughs> or let's say your best friend. Then how do you feel? Immediately different. It's a different experience altogether. One of the reasons that people become so indignant is because they don't know one another. It's one of the other reasons that people feel so free on the internet, or like on social media, to lambaste somebody, because there's this impersonality. Uh, there's this a sense of, of loss of connection that there's an actual person on the other end. And so the, you know, one of the problems is solved by uh, a personal conception. And that's what goes back to what Krishna said, Atmalpamyena Sarvatiras, Samam Pashiti Yojuna, Sukhambhayari Vadukam, Sayogi Paramumata, the topmost yogi, is one sees things in a very personal way. He relates to others, it's like they're going through the same thing I am. They're the same kind of soul. And they are uh, experiencing the anomalies of the material uh, life. So anyway, it did roll the window down. But I always. Uh, and do that gesture, I forgive you, to circumvent whatever kind of impulse is there to say, like, you know, I wish you would drive off the road and crash and burn and die. That's it. Dushila Prabhupada, Dushi Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Shishi Gornitai, Shishi Radha Shama Sundara.
Shishi Krishna Balaram, if you so desire. Please bless and empower everyone who came to this reading tonight, everyone who wanted to come to the reading tonight, people who didn't know about it, and everybody else in the world with your mercy, that everyone can feel blissfully engaged in your service and rise above anger and always be equipoised in your service. Thank you for considering our request. Om Sat Sat. Everyone who agrees with this prayer in part or in whole, please say Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.